talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist Interview. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the Artist Interview, a podcast from Hope FM, where I, Gordon T, get to be the host of the show, really, where we connect with some of the biggest names from the world of contemporary Christian music and hear about their life, their work and their faith. And today's episode is an extraordinary story from a man who has been through some really difficult stuff. It's Steph McLeod. He talks about how life started off with complications and then he really hit just the most almighty, uh, to call it a rough patch is an underestimate. He had years of alcoholic abuse and was on the streets homeless with no one to love him. And I've got to say, it's a story where Jesus stepped in and you're going to love some of the things that he shares and the music that he brings as well. So let's hear his first choice of track. This is a snip from When I Found Jesus. When I found Jesus, he was walking next to me On the lonely path of a man-made destiny Must have looked into my eyes Saw the tears and heard my cries For where I stood I was saved by the blood of Jesus And that was When I Found Jesus by Steph McLeod. I'm very pleased to welcome to Hope FM for the very first time, Steph McLeod. Hey Steph, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me. It's an honour. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. I know you've had a very busy time uh, lately. In fact, unusually, I think you were in two places at once because you were with New Wine, with Celtic Worship, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, as well as being uh, actually at Creation Fest at the same time because New Wine was pre-recorded and online, but Creation Fest obviously was in person. Uh, how, how did Creation Fest go for you? It was monumental for a number of reasons. It is just I just love that festival. It's uh, it's so ministry focused and focused on the the community and uh, the the people that, that that run it, Sarah Yardley and Calvary Chapel and um, back in Costa Mesa. It's it's just wonderful. It's such great vibes. You're always very welcome. And I got to lead worship there with uh, my good friend Lucy Grimble. Uh, and the response from people, uh, there was uh, a number of youngsters that came and gave their lives to Jesus when they were. Um, invited to and I was asked to sing Amazing Grace uh, straight after it and I don't think I actually managed the whole verse because I I turned into a big blubbering sack of jelly you know what I mean I was (laughs) I was just um so it was well it was the first time I'd I'd, I'd led worship in a live setting since um since March last year but it just took me right back to the day that um, I invited Jesus into my life and uh I, I was just over overwhelmed and it was just such a beautiful beautiful thing uh but the whole weekend that was maybe a, a big highlight for me but the whole weekend was so spirit filled and uh led by the lord and the holy spirit that it was just uh, it's, it's a time i'll never forget it was wonderful thank you i've only heard good things about it and i'm i'm my my regret is missing out on it this year but i'm looking forward to to future uh, years so you mentioned about people becoming christians uh, there which sounds fantastic It'd be really useful maybe for our listeners uh, to learn a little bit about your faith journey uh, and maybe start before you became a Christian. What what was your life like? Uh, who is Steph McLeod? Well, I, I, I was born Stephen John McLeod, so, which is, you know, how I became Steph McLeod isn't 
much of an interesting story. It was just a bit of a nickname I picked up. But I'll get to that. But I grew up a, an only child in a place called Musselburgh, which is about seven miles east of Edinburgh. And um, my mum and dad, lovely working class people, worked every hour that they were given. Um, and yeah, I spent a lot of my childhood uh, at my grands or with my cousins. Um, and, you know, I was a, I would say I was just a regular kid. We didn't have a lot, but you don't need a lot to love you kid you know what I mean um so I bounced off a lot of my cousins I don't I don't think there are any other only child cousins in my family or there weren't at that time so they were essentially my brothers and sisters I was quite an anxious kid and didn't know it so I was always seeking approval um and especially from my, my parents or from my peers and at school that kind of opened me up to quite a bit of bullying you know what I mean I'd, I'd I was quite often dishonest about circumstance or, or um, you know, how much money my parents made. You know, just just in order to try and fit in, I just had this real problem of trying to be authentic or um, I just didn't know what it was. And always striving to be something that I wasn't, which was a bit strange. Didn't get it either, but it was just the way I was. Uh, I was very musical from a very young age, which was a bit strange because everybody, nobody else in my family really is musical. I have a great uncle that was quite a famous bagpiper but other than that <laughs> um my mum and dad bought me this drum kit when I was very young which magically disappeared about a week later and was replaced with this uh, little Casio keyboard which I used to sit in front of the tv and and copy the tunes off the telly uh, which I remember learning the Hovis advert theme which was the New World Symphony by Dvorak and uh, I think it was Axel F Beverly Hills Cop or something like that I would um pack it, just stuff like that but that prog- music seemed to hold it all together for me and, and you know, help me to focus. And I wasn't as high maintenance after that. But um, by the time I was 15, I went to music school and uh, I was I successfully auditioned for a really good classical music school in Edinburgh called the City of Edinburgh Specialist Music School, where I was taught classical guitar and piano, as well as jazz and composition and counterpoint. And I even got to sit my A-levels there. Uh, which is something they only really do in private schools or at um, in, in England, I think. Uh, so I, I, I was very, very blessed with the education that I had. And uh, I used to have to travel into Edinburgh every morning uh, at 6 a.m. on the bus on my own in order to get to school to to do this. But it was, I got all, it was a, a free education, which was just incredible and very, very blessed. Although, again, it was quite a lonely experience because my parents weren't musical at all. So they just didn't get it, but they would come and uh, to my my events and nod their head and say they were very proud. And you know, it was you know that's what it is. But um, my parents split when I was fifteen, and that was pretty much the start of things unraveling for me. Uh, it just cracked um, my my emotional state in half. Um, I, I grew up in an environment where there weren't any emotional role models. Really, you know, it's just that environment, and I don't know what it's like in other places, but in Scotland at that time, I think the only place men were permitted to be emotional were the football, or if they'd had a, a, a few bevies, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just, if you were too loud, you were told to be quiet, or if you got really upset, you know, you were you were um, pacified in some way, you know what I mean? Just in terms of like, you know, give them something to comfort them, and instead of somebody helping you through those emotions, it just wasn't something that was spoken about at that point, so... When my parents split up, I had all these emotions and I didn't understand that there was a lot of my mum left and my dad and I, uh, we lost our home and were essentially homeless for a year, even though we were in a hotel and eventually got a house after that. But 
my dad is pretty old school and um, his way of, of being a good dad and is being a good father was to provide and make sure I had a roof over my head and food in my stomach. And But nobody ever asked me how I was doing or said, everything's going to be all right, son. And I just did not have anybody to speak to about my feelings. I think I might have tried a couple of times and my friends just didn't get it at all, you know what I mean? So um, I started to blow off a bit of steam by going to parties a bit more. So I, I I used to practice like it was going out of fashion, like music was my thing. I would sit in my room quite happily and play my guitar. That was my comfort thing. But um, quickly I was uh, hanging out with friends and drinking a lot and experimenting with, with cannabis and stuff like that. And it took all this sense of anxiety or this, this, this irritability feeling away from me and I thought this is what I need to do in order to feel normal and that's well, what, what age is that stuff 15 16 wow and that was the start of a 10-year progression uh which to cut a long story very short um, I ended up homeless in the streets of Edinburgh uh where you know I chose to be homeless in the streets of Edinburgh so that I could feed my addiction and peace away from the persistent and constant complaining of my my family who were just desperate because it, it was I mean you don't become a professional drinker overnight and that was my drug of choice it takes a lot of practice but I'm pretty sure I was alcoholic by the time I was 17 because when I went to music college at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music uh, in Glasgow um, my first year consisted of going to lectures during the day a bit of practice and then I would buy a bottle of vodka and I would drink that before I went out at night you know I don't know how I did that man but it was just insane my 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 life was completely unmanageable in terms of uh, how I looked at my health and um, money and all that kind of stuff I, I nobody really taught me how to do that so I, I I spent money like it was going out of fashion I don't think I spent my rent I, I think I spent my rent for the first year on on getting drunk and taking drugs and um, unfortunately, when everybody else knuckled down, I continued in this party lifestyle and eventually had to leave. Um, although the academy were, they really, really tried to help me. Um, after my first year, I was very depressed and got prescribed medication. There was a couple of suicide attempts and I was just utterly broken and didn't understand uh, that I was in a lot of pain. The one thing I, I am missing out is at one of these parties when I was 16 years old, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and I nearly lost my life. Somebody attacked me and I was, and, and, and after that, I was just terrified of everything. So my, my alcohol consumption increased exponentially. And I didn't realize it until just a few years ago that I was living with, with trauma um, and I had been using um, alcohol and drugs to self-medicate through that process. But I just thought I was blown off a bit of steam as a teenager um, fast forward uh, to leaving the academy, I finished my degree in Reading, which was another hairy story just of of, of drunkenness and uh, unmanageability. And then I went to live in Thailand for a year where it was 60 pence a bottle of whiskey and just basically drank about two or three bottles of that a day. It's extraordinary you're still alive, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> to look at you, uh, obviously I have the advantage of our listeners, I can see you and you look well and healthy and smiling, you've got a twinkle in your eyes. But that is a horrendous story to hear. And I can't imagine the difficulties along the way that you encountered, but to nearly have lost your life, to have, your parents to have split up and to have suffered with the effects because I think while you're in it, you might not realize how much it is damaging you, but it's 
I've, I've had friends who've gone down similar roads to the road that you've talked of, including homelessness. And it's the most awful thing to see someone else going through it, especially when they can't see for themselves. Who was with you during that time? Were you alone in your homelessness or was it that you formed friendships on the street, as it were? Not really. I, I was alone most of the time. Um, I always had individual friends leading up to that. But one by one, they kind of cut themselves off from me because I, I just wasn't nice to be around when I was that drunk. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a um, happy drunk. You know what I mean? I would drink to blackout, you know what I mean? Pretty quickly. I couldn't. My mum said it was like I was possessed. I couldn't get enough of it inside my body fast enough. And I would just black out or I would think somebody was trying to attack me and I would attack them preemptively, you know what I mean? So people just thought I was a violent drunk, you know, or I would get very aggressive anyway. I never got to the point where I got myself into any severe bother. But um, when, when, I, when I became homeless, I became a very isolated alcoholic drug taker, uh, which is quite common in addiction. You know, we isolate, we disconnect from other people. Um, you know, I'm in active recovery now. And, you know, it's quite common for people to say that the opposite of addiction is connection. You know, connecting to other people and staying strong in that respect. Much in the same way, uh, being spiritually strong uh, as a Christian is connecting to other people, you know, being part of a fellowship, being part of the body, being in, in as part of a church group or a cell, you know. And I, and I would quite literally just lock myself away somewhere. But when I was homeless, it would literally be on the street. So I had my little pockets of places that I would um, hide out and, and drink and take drugs. Unfortunately, I got kicked out of most of the homeless hostels I was in because they don't tolerate um, that extents of 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 uh, alcoholism or drug taking, and again, I, if I thought so, I was in any kind of danger, I would get aggressive with people, and they have zero tolerance for that. And quite right, because it's not just alcoholics and drunks that are homeless. You've got very vulnerable people that are homeless, you know. So unfortunately, I spent um, a good part of a year sofa surfing or uh, sleeping rough um, until I found respite in at the Bethany Christian Centre who offered me a bed on the 13th of February 2006. Which probably is a story in its own right because to get a place in a, a centre, like you say, that there's, there's going to be standards that you have to adhere to. So what was their criteria? How did they let you in? It's a homeless hostel for, for men. Uh, with 17 beds, it was at the time anyway. And they, 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 they give you an interview and they basically said, if you come in, you have to be clean or you have to be sober and we can help you with any medication or that that you've been prescribed. Um, and we have a recovery course. They, they, they've got two homeless hostels. One's primarily for men struggling with addiction, and one is just um, a general homeless hostel, so people that are, are looking for somewhere to stay and they don't have anywhere. So I was in the, the one that was addiction. So it's a dry house, and um, I turned up um, quite hungover. I'm probably still smelling uh, pretty bad, um, but I, it's, it took a good week uh, or two to get back to um, my body working normally uh, and um, also to dry out. But it was warm and it was a relief and I was able to start eating again because uh, I just spent the winter outside for the majority of 2005, which was probably the worst part of being homeless was was the cold and Scotland is proper cold, isn't it? It's not. It's not like down south. But it's it's, it's more the the humidity in the air because like when when you're on the streets, it's not so much staying warm; it's staying dry. Because if if you get wet, I mean, the cold, the the you know the the cold will then kill you. You know what I mean? And um, sometimes you know you were stealing stuff to maybe get a night in a cell or or um, 
you know, there, there was a lot of self-harming involved in trips to A&E and all that kind of stuff for different reasons, but it was a miserable existence and you're completely unaware to it because it is tunnel vision. And, uh, you know, as long as you're able to feed the need that, that you're so desperate for, I mean, you literally will do anything. And I was begging on the streets, I was stealing and I was doing things which were, you know, I, I never imagined myself ever having to do to myself in order to get money to to feed my addiction. Um, and like you said, like how, how I'm still alive, I have no idea. Well, I've got a fair idea. Like it's uh, not by my power anyway, but I am incredibly grateful for the for the life that I've, that I've got. So, so you went into the Bethany uh, home and they had a recovery program. Tell me a little bit about what happened in the, in that place. So they 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 did the recovery program, which is very similar to the AA's twelve steps. And you know, I was just grateful to be somewhere where I felt safe, and I didn't have to wake up in the morning and go through the the routine of having to get money or 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 anything like that. And then um, the, the the recovery program was very Jesus centered, and they tell you this before you come in, you know, because it's not for everyone. Um, uh, but they were they're very open and honest about that. Um, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have much experience of Christianity in my life. I did attend a youth club when I was a teenager, which I really loved, actually. That was in Musselburgh with some wonderful Christian people. And my gran and mum occasionally took me to church when I was a a very young kid. Uh, But that was my... Uh, first real kind of encounter with stories about Jesus and how they might be relevant to my life, especially from a recovery setting. And we spoke about love and agape love and, 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 you know, how we were loved and, you know, you got to remember you spent, you spent the majority of your adult life getting told that you're, you know, a failure or that you keep messing up. And suddenly it it was really, really weird for somebody to, pour lots of love and compassion into your life and understanding because most of the people that were on staff were actually um uh, had gone through this journey as well my one-to-one worker a lovely man called Dave Biddulph who's the centre manager and also my best friend and uh my bass player he um he took me through these um uh one-to-one sessions and he was my key worker and he was able to share his experience with me which really helped me and I was in there for eight months uh, they would also take you out to to do activities as well, so it wasn't all just coursework. So they would take you to the beach and to play football, and then um, uh, we went to Clan Gathering, which was a Christian festival, which absolutely blew my mind. By the way, it was uh, or my my heart, which was probably a better way to describe it. But the night that things really changed for me was when I um, I heard a man give his testimony. A, a chap called Cammy McKenzie, who's a, a Church of Scotland minister, uh, also a good friend. Um, and uh, but they they lured us with the promise of food. You know, I love that about Christian events because there's always free food, man. You know, and and uh, it was a five course dinner. I've never had a five course dinner. Well, I hadn't at that time, and I was naturally curious. So that's why I went. You know, and uh, we bit disappointed that the last course was a cup of coffee. But you know, it's a uh, <laughs> it's not without a sense of irony there, but the, he, he gave his testimony, and I, I thought he was going to tell me, church, you know, church minister, how you know I'm no good unless I've got this or whatever. But it wasn't like that. He shared his story of of um, addiction as a youngster, how he was involved in organised crime and spent some time in prison, and um, there was uh, mental health and um, suicide attempts, all this kind of stuff, which really related to me. And there was lots of people in the room that night, and he said. Um, God gave him the strength to break the chains that were killing him and the courage to walk away from that life, reborn with hope, which I'll be honest, I didn't fully understand, but I just heard, 
there's a new life. This man has experienced a new life and hope, you know, and I am utterly hopeless at the moment. I've got nothing, but this is just a bit of respite. I've got the clothes on my back and that's it. And then he said, there's no such thing as 50% free. If you want to be free in Jesus, you've got to give him everything. You've got to be prepared to surrender everything. And when he invited us to um, follow Christ as our Lord and Savior, I was sitting there going, I really want this. I really want this, but I don't want to look like an absolute idiot in front of my friends and all these people. You know, it was quite a daunting experience, you know, but I, I said, I've got nothing to lose here. And when I stood up and went forward, I kind of took a little look at the side of my eye and I noticed that all the other guys were coming as well. And every single one of us became, became followers of Jesus that night. And, uh, not because I went first, but just because we'd heard the call. We'd heard the call and we wanted, we wanted to follow Christ. And we, we, we prayed, we thanked Christ for coming into the world to save us, to live for us, to give us truth for, for giving his life for us, for paying the price for our sins and also for rising from, rising from the grave so that if we put our trust and faith in, in him, we can know life in all its fullness. And, and I prayed another prayer after that, which was, you know, God, if you can really hear me, right, if you can really hear me, because I'm, I'm a skeptical guy, I said, I just want a life worth living. And if that means following you, then I'm in all the way. And I felt the Holy Spirit come into my heart that night, and which it doesn't, it might sound a bit weird to some people, but I felt peace just overwhelm me. And um, when you've been full of self-loathing and dread and fear and anxiety your entire life, to suddenly have a bit of peace, it was just, it, it, I did something very un-Scottish. I, I cried in front of all my, my friends and all these people, you know. And I went from a man who suddenly thought he was the center of the universe to suddenly looking out and realizing that I wasn't alone anymore. It was a complete paradigm shift. And I was suddenly full of hope for, for the first time. And I had absolutely nothing, nothing uh, like of material value or worth or anything. But I just knew that everything had changed. And that was the first moment of me uh, with God. And it was, uh, I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll never forget it at all. It sounds like an absolutely beautiful moment. And I I imagine numbers of our listeners will be able to relate to that. But for some, that's also going to be a real revelation that you can have that freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus uh, provides and that he calls you into relationship with God and brings peace and change. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Mm. Uh, God can be right in the center and his goodness and love can envelop you. It's a great thing. What a story. What an awful and yet glorious story of God stepping in uh, and bringing a miraculous change. Um, Steph, that's just, I'm so grateful for everything you've shared. So at that moment, you knew that you'd given everything to God mm -hmm. and it was, it was all his. Uh, we're going to play another track from you in a, in a moment called Grace. Tell us a little bit about what, what happened the, the next day when you, when you, when you woke up the next day, how did you feel then? happy which it doesn't sound like i, I mean I, it's 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 very difficult to describe i felt like i really want to get out of my bed today right <laughs> which doesn't sound i mean some people may be able to relate to that it's something that most people do if not everybody does every day but like i i just didn't want to exist up until that point you know what i mean i i, I didn't have the guts to kill myself uh, but i just but i was like I want to go out and experience life. And I remember 
that, that the first thing I remember about that day was somebody smiling at me for the first time. I cannot remember up until that point anybody smiling at me as an adult ever. And I, I remember somebody smiling at me and this suddenly I realized that I'm not looking inward at my own soul anymore. I'm actually looking out into the rest of creation. And then I went outside and I realized that um, it rains a lot in Scotland, you know, and <laughs> but it wasn't grey and miserable. It was silver and lilac and everything was gleaming and I could smell everything. It was just everything was on, in HD. And it was like, when I think about it now, it, I, I believe it was Jesus just saying to me, you know, I have so much I want to share with you. You know, so I, you just need to follow me. Oh, just just for the benefit of sort of a timeline, what, what year is this? This is 2006. So I was 25 years old. So that's 15 years ago right now. And was it all plain sailing from that moment or what, or what happened in the years well, to come? I, met, um, I started going to church, you know, I went to church uh, where I met my wife. Uh, we weren't married at the time, but we got married and uh, I gained a son out of it who's very 22 now. Um, I've wow. also got two very uh, lovely young girls who are both, uh, oh, sorry, not both, one's eight and one's 11. But um, growing up, uh, that there was a period of about eight years um, there's a massive bit that I missed out. So in the homeless hostel, I started writing songs about my experiences, right? They had a couple of really rough guitars in there. I mean, they were absolutely awful. But I started writing about being homeless and being an addict and, um, uh, you know, really miserable stuff. I'd never sang before, uh, but it helped me to process a lot, especially emotionally. And um, I was just doing it in my room. So had you, had you done no music at all since when you'd left uh, university to when you were back in Bethany, basically, when you're on the streets, there was, I guess there's no opportunity for it. No, I mean, when I, when I, um, at the end of uni, I, I pretty much didn't touch my guitar. Uh, I, I, my, my focus was just fully on, on drinking and, and how to provide money for that. Um, and when I was homeless, I pawned my guitar for a hundred quid to buy drugs. So this 2000 pound guitar that my mum and dad had worked hours and hours and hours for it. I just didn't have a second thought about getting rid of it. And it's just, just because I needed, I, I was desperate, man. I just didn't have anything. But I, I did that with all my stuff. Um, and when I didn't do that, I just resorted to begging. But the, Bethany had a couple of guitars. I done one of them up, started singing. Uh, went to a wee church called Abbey Hill Baptist. Lovely wee church. And um, with an American minister, if you close your eyes, he sounds like Bill Clinton. So Bill Clinton was preaching to us on a Sunday. And uh, I got I, I was playing guitar in the worship band um, and then uh, learned some really, really old hymns. Some of them I, I still sing to this day and have recorded with Celtic Worship. And uh, I got married to Jane and um, got an opportunity to write songs about my faith a few years after, which then developed into an album. I got a lot of help with that. And somebody came up to me in 2010. This is when I recorded my first album. Uh, it, they'd helped me to put my CDs together, so I did a little concert for them. And they came up to me with an offering and said, uh, we'd like to bless you with this. This is what you're meant to do with the rest of your life. And I was like, that is incredible because the night I became a Christian, I said to Cammy McKenzie, what do I do now that I'm a Christian? And he said, well, I want you to go back to your, uh, where you're staying tonight and I want you to pray to Jesus and I want you to thank him. I want, to th I want you to thank him for the cross. And then I want you to ask him what you're meant to do with the rest of your life. And I want you to keep praying that prayer until somebody tells you. And then this man, this wonderful minister called Ian McDonald came up to me and said, you're meant to share the gospel through your testimony and your music for the rest of your life uh, and, and pass on the hope that's been given to you. And, and I was like, 
it's taken four years of praying every day, but I've suddenly been told this is what I'm meant to be doing. And that's what I started doing. So I started reaching out and saying to people, I'd like to share my testimony. And I got one gig, which turned into two gigs, which turned into four gigs. Um, I call them gigs, but, you know, and then it just snowballed, man. I got invited on to like Songs of Praise and Radio 2, which was just mind blowing because I love the radio. Uh, met Ali Jones at like six in the morning. I mean, I don't think the guy sleeps, but he was just absolutely lovely. And then, uh, you know, it was just amazing. But, you know, life caught up with us. So I was on the road a lot. We had debt. We had um, my wife had a pretty nasty mid- miscarriage um, when she got really ill with it. My my son's got quite high functioning ADHD, which was undiagnosed, and he was coming up against a lot of challenges. There was just everyday problems that you know normal people have. Um, and but I was t- I took my eye off the prize. I was um, instead of reading my Bible and praying as much as I was, I was watching movies and eating chocolate and all this kind of stuff. But there was there was stuff that I, had, I hadn't been honest about either. Stuff that had happened to me as a kid, um, and stuff that had happened to me when I was homeless, which I hadn't told anybody about through fear of rejection and abandonment, which stems back for to my mum leaving when I was a teenager, and um, just through fear of being on my own again. And this came to a head uh, when I, I I ended up relapsing and uh, just in a, in a moment of madness and our lives just imploded, man. And uh, basically the way that my um, psychologist told me, because uh, I got a lot of help with it, he said um, there was a lot of, st- we're only as sick as our secrets and you thought you could bury this and it's just festered, festered there. And when it all came to the surface, when you were stressed uh, through the trauma from the violence that was uh, uh, you were a victim of and the other abuse, uh, basically your brain went straight to the one thing that you knew would give you respite, even though it was momentary and you knew it would be incredibly self-destructive and that was alcohol. I convinced myself it wasn't going to be like that. And once I took a drink, I couldn't stop. And um, our lives just exploded and eventually ended up in hospital for, for a while. And um, it was a, a, a clinic where you get help for addiction, but also for trauma uh, in Edinburgh uh, through our lovely NHS. And the consultant who's in recovery himself, excuse me, <coughs> he said, alcohol and prescription medication aren't your problem because I was on enough prescribed medicine. To, um, you know, I could have started my own pharmacy probably, but he said, uh, they're not your problem. They're the solution to your problem. He says, your problem is deep rooted and we need to find out what that is. You're going to need to get honest. You're going to need to tell us stuff that you've never been willing to tell anybody before. And they, they gave me a safe enough space to do that. And through doing that, I was able to open up about stuff and I was introduced to a 12-step recovery program and um I was able to explain to my family and open up about stuff that had happened to me. They just showered love on me, if I'm being perfectly honest. But it took a lot of rebuilding and some counselling. And um, there's a lot more to it like that because I hated everyone. I hated my wife. I hated my church. I hated God. I hated, um, you know, I think I said myself already, but, you know, myself most of all, because it was a reflection of how I felt about me. Uh, and my therapist said, why don't you write about it? And I said, well, it will be really depressing stuff. I'm used to writing really hopeful songs about Jesus. And he said, well, you know, I don't think I've ever heard a happy Adele song. Not that I'm, you know, putting myself on a par with Adele. He says, he says like, you know, he says like Adele's about her whole career writing about the, the challenges that she's faced. So why don't you just write and be honest? And I did. And 
Um, I ended up writing this whole album or the whole bunch of songs about my mental health journey. Um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder uh, and um, I was given ways uh, in which to manage that, which I'm very, very grateful. And my life transformed again. And, and through going through that journey, it got to the point where I actually realised that Jesus was the anchor in all of it. And he was the foundation under all of it that had actually held everything together, that he'd never left me, that he, that he loved me. And I knew all this, actually. And, I, you know, people were telling me that Jesus loves you. Let me pray for you. And I was like, you know, that, I mean, you're telling me this stuff, but, you know, I, I feel very, very different. And that was the biggest conflict, I think, spiritually that I'd ever encountered because I know God loves me. I know what he did for me. I know what he sacrificed for me, but I hated me. And that was a conflict there. You know, I, I was so full of shame and guilt and secrets and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, how can somebody love me when I hate me? And my sponsor in recovery, he said, you know, if you're feeling lonely, you probably don't like the person you're alone with. And I was like, you're right. I can't stand being in my own company or, you know, just my skin crawls thinking that I'm actually inside here. And he says, right, well, there's a cure to that. And, he, and I said, what? And he says, well, it's church, really. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. He says, okay, I'll put it in a way that you can understand. Get out there and love somebody like it's our last day in the world. Love somebody the way Jesus would, even when you don't want to, even if it's the last thing that you can even contemplate doing, get out there and serve someone. And I went, all right. I'll give it a shot. So I started volunteering. I even offered to be the cleaner for my church, but they said, like, we've got a cleaner. He says, why don't you start a recovery group? So I did that. And I just started pouring love into other people's lives the best that I could. And this paradoxical miracle happened, man. This, um, the more love I seemed to pour out, it seemed to fill me with love quite unexpectedly. So when I was looking in the mirror, I wasn't calling myself expletives anymore or, you know, I was actually able to look at myself in the mirror for the first time in a while. And eventually I started smiling at myself and I started to feel a little bit more comfortable in my own skin. So it was just, I learned, I learned that lesson that it's about serving and loving others and being connected to a loving community and sharing my experiences with them in a safe way. You know what I mean? So if, if I recognize that somebody's struggling, I'll say, do you want to talk, man? And, you know, it all kind of grew out of that. And that was my, my recovery journey and it helped me with loneliness, soul self-esteem and um, anxiety and all kinds of stuff. It was a beautiful thing. I, that is an extraordinary thing to have happened to have actually gone through a second. I guess it happens a lot. I guess it must be statistically, there must be a lot of these things that do happen where people relapse time and time again, but also that you were able to go through and refine your identity and deal and process with the stuff that was still causing those root issues is just amazing testament to actually God's love that just never fails us and will come back and time and time again and always be available when we reach out to him. Um, but well done you as well for, for being brave, following that advice and putting yourself out there and then rediscovering uh, who God's made you to be. So thank you for everything you've shared uh, hearing it first the first time around was harrowing i was obviously i know that it's got a happy ending because i can see you sitting here but to hear you had that massive re-stumble end up in hospital again actually is quite is quite frightening because around us here particularly where the studio is based in bournemouth there are so many homeless people on the streets and so many people really struggling with major drug issues 
Uh, and actually, there's there's just it's a real sign of hope to me to see you and to hear you talking about what Jesus has done in your life, and also. Uh, it's encouraging to us as churches uh, that we can be people who can speak truth and love others in action uh, and see change as well, because sometimes it feels like people are stuck in a cycle that they can't break out of. And although you were in a cycle, you've been in there twice, uh, you you have broken free from it and you have experienced the freedom that Christ gives. Uh, and you are going on to be uh, following what he's called you to do in sharing, just as you're doing right now, sharing your testimony uh, that it might impact other people. It's amazing, Steph. Um, I'd love you to talk about your song, Grace. Um, and we'll play that in a moment, if that's okay. Yeah, so this is one of the songs that I wrote when I was in hospital. So the first six tracks, which I, uh, I which organically became this album to raise mental health awareness. And, uh, you know, we're, how I fit into that journey as a Christian. Um, there was, I wrote a song called Grace. It was actually a rewrite of a very, very old song. Uh, but I was thinking a lot about why do I feel so lonely? What have I been running away from my whole life? It's, it's you know, that, um, that deep, deep uh, winter of discontent, uh, you know, as, as some people call it, you know, that, 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 that shadow that seems to just envelop us. Um, which can feel ever so familiar, uh, and it, there doesn't seem like a way out. Um, that's where I, that's how I felt at that point. It was a very, very low rock bottom, and I was just calling out to God and saying, "Look, God, I I cannot save myself from this. You know, I know that faith without works is dead, but I I I need you to walk with me through every part of this journey." And I got my um, my good friend Mark Posson, who is a as a who who was a rapper. He came out of retirement to be on this track. He, uh, he's a pastor now. Um, to 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 be on the song. It's just um, I know that when you call it in my experience, when you call out to God, when you call it to God, he he showers us with grace, and that was my experience. And that's all I can do is all I can do is share my experience. And then um, I, I did have to put the work in, but he walked with me every step of the way. To the living, I gotta find myself, but I don't wanna find myself. And no, I'm like a broken arrow, fading fast to the shadow at the gates ahead. And that was Grace by Steph McLeod, and I'm pleased to say that Steph is still here on the artist interview on Hope FM. Steph, thank you so much for all you've shared from your heart. What an extraordinary journey you've been on. Um, and I know that there'll be many people listening, some who can relate to it personally, uh, some people who maybe for their friends or their family, uh, they've, they're they witnessing right now some of these things going on. Uh, it would be really great if you're happy to pray for listeners. I'm always happy to pray. And it would be my honour. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the breath in my lungs. I thank you for the sunshine that is faithfully rising every morning just like your mercy is poured upon us. I pray for anyone that's listening that might be going through the journey that I've experienced or anyone that's listening who knows someone in that journey, I pray that they will know your presence. It is so easy to get pulled into a place where we think we are so alone. I pray, Lord, that you will break the chains of those lies. I pray for 
breakthroughs and breakdowns to go hand in hand, which they very often do. I pray that people will find the courage to reach out and tell somebody that they trust, that won't be overwhelmed by what they've got to say, that they're struggling and seek the help that they need. And I pray that they will know that you will be with them every step of the journey because you are with us every step of the journey, Lord. Even when we fail, you're there with us, Lord. I pray that when we do fail, and we do fail, I pray that we are kind to ourselves and compassionate to ourselves and help us to realize that we learn from our failures, even if it happens once, twice, 50 times, Lord, that you're with us and it's not going to make you love us any less, Lord. I am so grateful for your love, Lord. And I pray that my brothers and sisters and people out there that have yet to come to know you, Lord, will know your limitless and immeasurable love will be with them through every step of the journey. Lord, I pray for healing for the, the trauma that people might have endured, um, especially over the last 18 months, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just surround them and bind them in your love and grace and let them know that everything is going to be okay because you've got this. You've always got this. And I pray that, especially for myself and my brothers and sisters, that we have the ability to trust before we fear, that we can challenge unhelpful thinking and negative thoughts and know that Christ has done it all for us already as he continues to walk with us and the Holy Spirit continues to speak to us. Lord, help us to see us as you see us, that we are loved, that we are children of God, that we are unique. And even when we're a mess, Lord, we're your mess and you can do beautiful things with messes. I am so grateful to be your child. I am so grateful for this opportunity to pray, Lord. I thank you for this time that I get to lift up my voice to you. And I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Steph. There's a couple of things I want to say off the back of that. If you're listening to me and Steph and you're thinking, I just don't really know Jesus like these guys are talking about and you think maybe I'm not a Christian at all. I just want to encourage you, if you're not going along to a church, to pop along to www.findachurch.co.uk. There are thousands of churches across the UK that would love to welcome you and help you find out more about God's amazing love. And I also want to reflect back on a couple of things that Steph's mentioned. He talked about secret stuff and he talks about alcohol and during the pandemic with all the isolation i saw on the news that uh, alcohol addiction has massively increased and there's been significant problems and i'm just thinking you know there could be some listeners who are christians for whom alcohol has just crept in uh, a little bit more and a little bit more and i just want to encourage you maybe to reach out to someone you trust at your church and just say i just need a little bit of help and advice in this area and just to be honest about things rather than let things fester and stay hidden. Uh, give God an opportunity to shine his loving light in there. Would you agree with that, Steph? Wholeheartedly, man. Absolutely. It's uh, the truth will set you free. And and I know that might sound like a cliche, but it's, I mean, the truth powerful for a reason. Um, if, if you're struggling with addiction, uh, speak to somebody about it and, you know, 
there's also loads of stuff out there that's happening. There are fellowships which are online. If you were to Google uh, 12-step recovery, there are phone numbers there that you could get in touch with. If you're if you are deeply in um, in the midst of the madness, as as we would say. Uh, there is a wonderful charity called the Keys Project, which is based down in Brighton, which is a, a Keys community detox project, which what they do is they liaise with churches to help people actually detox from addiction. So um, if you uh, if you search Keys Community Detox, uh, they're a wonderful charity, uh, which are um, rooted in the ways of Jesus, which will also help you to get an understanding of what addiction is and also how to detox and they also do um very christ-centered recovery groups as well so if you if you if you if you're looking for more of a jesus recovery program i would i would stop there but there, there are quite a, a number of recovery things online if you just um search 12-step recovery uh, you should be able to find somebody even if it's just to talk to well it's always worth i think taking that step and connecting with someone who can help even if they only point you in the right direction of where else to go but steph thanks so much for your recommendation there. Talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist Interview. So when you were on the streets, is there a particular moment where things were so low that you just thought you just couldn't possibly go on? Yeah. There was quite a few times like that. There, there was, uh, you know, walking around the streets at four in the morning when it was like minus six, soaked to the skin, trying to find somewhere to get dry or um you know rattling off of alcohol and drugs uh those were the times where it was it was pretty pretty bad um you know breaking in somewhere just to try and get warm or um committing a crime to just get picked up so that you got i mean you know some people get arrested just so that they don't od you know what i mean then i can I, I, I don't think i ever od'd in that respect but there was there were there were times where i, I would i would self-harm self-harm to the point that I would end up in hospital because, you know, it was warm and it was safe and I know that I'd be looked after. I mean, that's just where your brain goes with that stuff, you know what I mean? There was other times where the, the, there was quite a bit of trauma involved where, um, you know, I was a victim to certain things um, and that was very, very difficult to process uh, afterwards and and, and especially, I, I guess I did the best way I was able to do that was just by drinking more because I was so isolated from everything that my only solace seemed to be in a ball and um uh, you know it was it was a tough tough time but the, the cold being in the cold and being lonely in the midst of all this carnage was particularly difficult and the only way I felt that I could survive that was by drinking and taking drugs up do you know what i almost don't know what to say except i'd like to ask about how do we as christians from your personal experience of it all how do we help those people that we see on a day-to-day -day basis around our towns in our streets in our gutters who are in desperate need of help some some may not know it some may know it and not want it there's all sorts of different scenarios different people but how can we show people love? Because I've heard lots of different people say different things of never, ever give money to a person that's on the street. Some people say, well, you know, you maybe you should trust them, give them the money. At least they know that you cared about them. What would be your opinion uh, of how we can help people? Maybe just we're walking past in our everyday lives, going somewhere, and there's someone in need um, who's just there in front of us. Well, they're always in need. It just depends what that need is, you know what I mean? So I don't give money to people that are homeless. I give it to homeless charities or I get involved. 
because not everything is what it appears to be. Uh, it's unfortunate, but not everybody is homeless. Um, it is, believe it or not, it's easy money begging on the streets. People are a lot kinder than you realise, you know. Uh, it was a very, very easy way for me to feed my addiction. Now, like I said, not everybody is an alcoholic or an addict when they're homeless. Um, but I, I, and this isn't everybody, right? But I do know people or have seen people who are pitching up on a regular basis to make a bit of money, to make ends meet. They might have a, a place to stay and they might be on benefits or anything like that because that's the life that they know. There's also, I mean, there's a guy that, that that's lived on the streets here for 13 years, but he's very, very ill. You know what I mean? They've, they've offered to try and help him and they've offered, but he just, he just cannot function living in a house or being around other people. He chooses to be that way. And, and the thought of living in a house and paying taxes and all that, he just can't do it. So he rakes the bins. And um, so, I mean, everybody's story is very, very different. Some people have lost their jobs and their livelihoods and they're just trying to make ends meet. Now, what I've, what I've learned from being homeless is there's always somewhere to get food. There's always somewhere to get food. You can actually walk, you could probably walk into a, a, a chain on the streets and say, look, I'm homeless, I'm desperate, I'm starving, have you got any food? And they'd probably give you something to eat. You know what I mean? They might say no, but I guarantee if you asked as many burger chains uh, for a burger as you did uh, with ask somebody for spare change, you would have a full belly by the end of the day. So there's always somewhere to get food, right? The the convent and the Bethany and the soup vans and all that. So there's always places and people that are homeless will know where to go. There are there are places that will house you if they can. Uh, and that, I mean, it's not the Ritz, man. And they're usually full of um, unmanageability and carnage and all, all the stuff that comes with homelessness. So, and, But there's, there's, there's nothing that we can do about that. Those things are in place to do that. So the best thing that we can do is either give to a homeless charity that can invest that money properly into helping these people with soup vans or help or, or talking to them or whatever, um, or we can get involved ourselves with volunteering. But at street level, I have found this is what I do. I will ask people how they're doing. I will have a conversation with them and see what they're at because sometimes that wee conversation can make all the difference. And I share my story about being homeless and usually it's, you were homeless. And I went, aye, man. And they're like, serious and I went yeah man and then I'll just tell them what happened and and then I'll tell them have you checked out Bethany have you checked out this 12-step recovery program um, have you been down there do you know you can get food from this van on a Sunday at this church have you met this guy do you know you can do this um, you're only going to know about these things if you're involved in certain ministries or, or organizations if somebody's hungry I'll offer to buy them a sandwich and a can of coke right if somebody there, there is only one time I will ever break my rules and if i see somebody withdrawing from alcohol right which nine out of ten people will not recognize so if i see somebody with dts i'll buy them a can of beer because their life is in, in danger uh, and and basically they're, they're wanting alcohol but, I, but i'll say to them drink that and then go and get help because i'm not giving you enough to get drunk i'm giving you that to stabilize yourself uh, so i am not advocating that in any way i'm only doing that through my own experience of having been through the dts myself and that's the only time i break my rules but i don't give money to the home to the homeless because i don't know what they're going to put it on and i don't know their situation uh, but i do invest in homeless charities i do have conversations and if they're hungry i'll buy them food now i've got to say it's helpful to have heard it from somebody who probably knows a lot more than most of us. Um, I, I, I also don't give money uh, to people in the streets, but I will offer to buy them food. Uh, and the other thing I'll do is I will 
I will just say hello to them as I walk past and acknowledge them and look them in the eye. Um, just because sometimes I feel like ignoring them might be some of the most painful things that we could do. So, but I guess that depends upon who we are as people as well. Because for some people, if you're a lady, you may feel it's too threatening or difficult to engage in those ways. So obviously you need to make sure you stay safe in these scenarios. And it's amazing the testimony that you have, Steph, that you can share that with people. And it must bring hope and amazement to many people. One other question I've got for you, Steph, is about what's the thing that has brought you the most joy uh, since you became a Christian? Oh, man, that is a difficult question. I mean, there are so many little things and so many massive things. You know what I mean? Give me one of each. All right. Finding change in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you, you, you're only going to understand that if you're an alcoholic or an addict, right? Because see, once you've torn all your furniture to pieces to find 20 pence, uh, or, or you've been through every single pocket in your house, your grandparents' house, your mum's house or whatever, any of that kind of stuff, waking up in the morning and you find 45p and then thinking, see, 20 years ago, man, I'd have, I'd have chewed your hand off for that, right? So, like, just just having that little bit of, like, gratitude for, like, man, I'm so grateful my life's not like that anymore. You know? thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, you know what I mean? So that's, that's one thing. Other things, waking up in the morning and maybe just feeling a bit sleepy instead of wanting to go and throw up, right? That's, uh, that's another one. Um, being warm on a cold winter's day. Right, is another one. Uh, being able to wash my clothes whenever I want. It's tremendous. Right? Uh, having people, um, have, I'll tell you one that I'm grateful for today, right? So a new bank card arrived. A new bank card arrived. And I looked at my other one and went, I didn't actually lose this one. <laughs> right? So, right? So, so, so the number of bank cards and wallets and phones and honestly, the amount of stuff that I lost in active addiction was unbelievable. So like just loads of little things um, uh, having the means to um, record music. I mean, there's just, I'm just so grateful for everything, man. I still pinch myself on a daily basis, on an hourly basis at how much I have in my life. The big ones are my kids, my wife, um, the ability to minister to people, to, to go to somewhere like Creation Fest and see people give their lives to Jesus, those are massive. And um, to be able to wake up, I can hear my kids in the background right now, but to be able to wake it's up, lovely. to be able to hear, uh, wake up the next again day and then say, I can't wait to the next one. So those are the big ones. Uh, but knowing, having Jesus in my life is, is, is uh, knowing that he's there every day is, is the big one, I think. Talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music, this is the Hope FM Artist Interview. Okay, so just to recap, you've, you've done uh, multiple uh, albums. Uh, you've sung from your heart on various different things. Uh, you've just been uh, to Creation Fest. You've got three children and a wife. Uh, Jesus is doing great stuff with you. So what's the plan from here? And you're, you're following Jesus' call in your life, but the next 12 months, the next five years, what's, what's God got for you? Oh, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm sure tomorrow will take care of itself. Like, <laughs> uh, one day at a time, I've, I've learned that in recovery. But it's good to plan. It's good to have a plan. Uh, and I'm currently working with Integrity Music, who are a record label based in um, Brighton and Nashville. Uh, I've released a record with them in uh, January which is more worship based. So I am writing um, lots of songs at the moment and have been doing over the last eight months via eight, 18 months via Zoom with some incredible writers. Uh, and I just feel like it, um, God's calling me to a place where I, I, I'm, you know, to write for the church, uh, which is um, uh, an incredible privilege. So uh, looking at ways of expanding on that and doing things uh, for the for, for the body of Christ. Um, as, as things 
will open up more. Uh, do I want to be touring as much as I used to? Uh, I think I do want to be touring, but not to the same extent because I have really, really been grateful for being able to walk my kids to school every day and stuff like that. So it's been finding a balance for me. Um, but I still am heavily invested in recovery community and prison ministry and uh, working with charities um, across the board. Um, but fundamentally, if I can serve Christ in any way, I will do it. Uh, because it not only makes it makes me feel like I'm um, doing what I've been called to do, but it keeps me well. It keeps me um, uh, happy, uh, you know, at the best of times. And um, I think that's what's going to happen. So working on some music for the church and still continuing to serve uh, ministries in the, the best way that I can. Wow. Okay. So keeping busy, but also getting your priorities right as well with family stuff in there, which I think is so critical. It's so easy to get so busy on the things that Jesus has called us to that we forget sometimes that our first calling is to the people who's put uh, as our children, as spouses, that we can be a blessing to them and have Christ in the middle of those relationships. Uh, so what's the album that you put out recently? It was a five track EP called Oh Perfect Father, uh, which is got a little story behind it as well I'll, uh, I'll keep this brief but basically I wanted to write for the needs of my community we used to live in a little place called Gorebridge which is just outside Edinburgh so I spoke to my youth pastor there and I said what challenges are you facing when you're out there man and he said broken homes identity crisis uh, low self-esteem mental health issues addiction and I was like man that is my story and I just said Okay, I'm going to write very personal worship songs, which I, you know, if people were to come in and sing them, then maybe they can relate to them. I hope that my prayer is that they will be able to relate to them and then, then know that they're in the right place, that they're loved. And Gorebridge Parish Church is incredible. They've got a wonderful community spirit. So I wrote five tracks based on that. And they're all, uh, all the songs are slightly different, though there are a couple of songs in there from my back catalogue which is when i found jesus as well and let me know your heart but um uh, yeah the songs are all about the uh, needs of my community and that's called oh perfect father um and integrity music so how did that relationship with integrity come about i've known integrity for years actually that they're such a, a they are a record label they used to be kingsway uh, but they, they became integrity music but they i've known them for a while uh, they are they were at the time exclusively worship music um, and they are still pretty much, it's all about serving the church in the capacity that they can with music. And uh, so that I've always been on their radar, but I've always been a very singer songwriter. Um, you know, I, I used to be able to take my music into pubs and clubs and, and uh, prisons and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't worship, but it was songs about Jesus or at least my experience of walking with Christ. And after doing the Gold album, their A&R man, Steve Harding, who's actually a close friend as well, came up to me and said, man, I'd love to work with you if you're interested and maybe we could do something together. And I said, you know, I'm, I've been feeling like a bit of a change instead. I think I've written about me quite a lot, you know. <laughs> and I mean, Jesus is in there a lot, man, you know, but I've written about my experiences. So I would really love to write music for the church because I love leading worship. I love the old, old hymns. Um, and uh, that's another thing I'm doing because Celtic Worship is actually just releasing an album uh, very, very soon as well, which is a ministry I'm involved in. And, uh, you know, I mean, so like it's, it's becoming more worship focused and worshipping God and, and, and serving the body of Christ uh, as well as doing the, the, the ministerial stuff. But Integrity Music, I've known them for a while and they are the best. To me, they're not a record label. They are a, a family. They're, they're a ministry and they've made me feel 
ever so valued and very, very, they've taken a lot of the stress out of my life as, a, as an independent artist. And I'm very, very blessed for that. Brilliant. Well, they've got great people with great expertise. Over there. It's lovely to hear that they're a family. You mentioned Celtic worship, and I think I mentioned it earlier on with regards to new wine. So tell us about this new album. What, what is Celtic worship? What, what's its purpose? Uh, what's it like? Celtic worship's a lot of fun, man. It is a lot of fun. So there's some very close friends. Uh, it was uh, a band that started very organically by the fiddle player, uh, Mary Marwick who's married to the Piper, who's Scott Wood. Uh, I mean, all of these guys are incredible musicians, uh, professional musicians in their own right. I knew, um, I know all of them uh, from before, um, although I hadn't met Mary and Scott before, but they wanted to, Mary wanted to put on a church service for people visiting Glasgow during the Celtic Connections Music Festival, which is the biggest Scottish traditional music festival in the world. And she asked me if I would like to come and lead worship. And I said, okay. Uh, so we came up and uh, brought some songs. Uh, they said, we, we would really like to do In Christ Alone because Scott's going to be playing it on the bagpipes. Now, I kid you not, Scott Wood is the best piper I have ever encountered in my life. I'm not just saying that because I'm biased. He is abs an absolute genius. And I get very emotional listening to him play. So it, it, we, we, we did the worship service. It was pretty well attended the next day the, sorry the next year it was standing room only so this, this big church in Glasgow was absolutely rammed and we were taking these old hymns which I'd learned way back in 2006 in, in the worship band at Abbey Hill Baptist and uh, we'd arranged them uh, as a band and uh, we'd done a couple of videos we'd done like 10,000 Reasons and then In Christ Alone just to promote the the church service and they just exploded and Christ alone's got something like 4 million views on YouTube or something like that. And it was just purely to invite people to the church. And then after that, people were saying, could you put some of these songs in a CD? So um, Gus and Scott recorded and mixed it. They're very, very talented. They've got much more energy than I do. They're a bit younger. Uh, and they put so much effort into it. And then we got asked if we wanted to do some concerts. And um, the CDs have been flying out consistently for uh, the last couple of years mostly to America, and we've just been given opportunities to go and serve and worship and actually be part of this incredible hymnody revival, which uh, the people like the Gettys and Stuart Townend are, are, are pioneering so amazingly, you know, because the, the, the theological depth and the, the beauty that are in these old hymns and the modern ones that they're writing is, is so important, I feel anyway. So um, we, we, we've just come together to write and record uh, a new album. We, we did some original songs in there and some some other old favourites. And Integrity Music are helping us to put that out and it should be out in October. So that's called Morning Tide. And it's about um, God's uh, walking through us from uh, the, the darkest nights into his faithfulness uh, in the morning. So like his mercies come every morning. And that's uh, so our new album, Morning Tide, will be out in October. Oh, well, that that is also something exciting to look forward to. So that certainly sounds like you have been busy on multiple fronts then. Um, so just tell us again, who's, who's in the band? Right, well, it's uh, Mary, Mary uh, is the fiddle player. So, and it's, it's she kind of started, the, well, she definitely started the band and invited us all together and brought us together. And uh, she, pretty, her and her husband, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I, I can't stress enough, like I, get to lead worship in the band and get be involved in the creative aspects but they do so much of the logistical work and the and the, all the planning and stuff like that it's amazing because I don't have to stress about that stuff you know what I mean but you've got Gus Sturrett on bass who's a recording engineer and a bass player extraordinaire 
his wife Naomi Stirrett, who's an incredible singer. So she she leads worship with myself. So she's a professional actor, uh, an extraordinary actor. And then there's Chris Amor on electric guitar, and Ifa Daddy Thomas, who's on drums. And they're all extraordinary musicians. And it's just an absolute pleasure to uh, be with them as a as a family, but also as a ministry. And it's it's a lot of fun. And um, it's it's actually one of the easiest things that I do in terms of uh, music because I. I you know they do all of it. I just get to turn up and and lead worship and and minister, and it's uh, it's, it's an incredible blessing. It sounds like a, a load of fun, and musically, I also can vouch for that. It sounds fantastic. So we've got we've got one more track uh, to play from you, uh, and it's called "Oh Perfect Father." Um, does Lucy Grimble sing on this? She does. Lucy is my sister from another mister. She is amazing. <laughs> I, I've just that's who I led worship with at the weekend there, and. Um, Lucy is amazing. She's got such a heart for Jesus and for um, creating a space where people can encounter uh, the love of God through worship. Um, she's just amazing. And uh, we write a lot together. And uh, I asked her if she would sing in the record. And, you know, without a second thought, she said, absolutely. Her, her album, God's Heart Explodes, was one of my favourite albums last year. It was absolutely storming sorry we're not here to talk about lucy but seeing as she's on the track i thought i would like to give her a plug again because she's someone chasing after god's heart and is a bit of a musical genius did you know that she's into drum and bass as well yes oh man i, I did not know that about you have you got oh man i could tell you some stories <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell, tell me a story about drum and bass and steph mcleod that i didn't realize at all well, I mean, it's all pre-Christian, but it's. Uh, but I love, I love drum and bass. Uh, it's weird because I, I grew up being a classical musician, but I was into um, all kinds of music. So whether it was Daft Punk, Metallica, um, uh, Miles Davis, but I got really into drum and bass when I lived in Reading, and I used to go to the the nightclubs and stuff like that. But there was just something very tribal and hypnotic about the. The, the dance beats and stuff like that so when I go out jogging now um, I, I'm, I'm listening to drum and bass and then I discovered that there are some Christian drum and bass producers and stuff like that and there's a whole genre of uh, uh, Christian EDM and drum and bass people like um, uh, well this isn't solely drum and bass but the, the, some of the, the high energy dance stuff like with uh, LZ7 and uh, my friend Doug Ross, he's he, he's done quite a lot of drum and bass as well, and he's a wonderful Christian man that works for Stable. Uh, and you know, so I I absolutely love drum and bass because it's it's high energy and it keeps me going, and um, it, it's good for for working out. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Have you have you listened to Lucy's drum and bass stuff? I have. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's uh, a keeper, isn't it? It's uh, that was um, actually um, produced by Doug Ross and his friend. It's it's cool it's very cool so um i i didn't i didn't found out about that recently so and i didn't know that you're a drum and bass man as well so there you go um but we <laughs> we were here to talk about oh perfect father and i totally went off on a tangent oh okay. perfect father tell tell me about that so you and lucy are on that yeah so uh, the, the the song i wrote it with a, a wonderful hymn writer called tony wood in nashville who's got years of experience he's just Honestly, the man is a walking songbook. I mean, I mean that with all love and respect because we sat down, I told him what I wanted to do and I shared a couple of bits of testimony and I, and I said, um, I want to write a song about broken homes and, you know, for people that, that might be fatherless as well. And I remember we, we just started talking about ideas and I said to him, I remember the only prayer I ever remember saying as a kid was when I was crying at my pillow and saying, God, please make this stop and make this change. 
And uh, but I didn't realize that everything else was outside of my control because I was a kid in the midst of carnage and there was lots of stuff that was going on that I didn't find out about until many years later. But I just um, remember feeling very lonely at the time. And uh, I said to Tony, you know, if there's some way we can incorporate that into the song, then I would like to sing it. Um, because God is a perfect father. And I've learned more about being a father through my kids. Uh, so I've learned more about my relationship or with God and the heart of the father through my kids than I think anything else. Because when my kids can come to me and say, Dad, I'm really, really happy, it overwhelms me with joy. But when they come to me and say, Dad, I'm really struggling, it overwhelms me with gratitude and love that they trust me enough to be on that journey. So why can't we come to God in prayer, you know, uh, especially when we're broken? And Tony and I, were, we wrote a verse which Lucy sings, you know, um, my, my silent prayer, you always hear and you cradle every secret tear. So even when we don't realize that God is, uh, even when we don't realize that God is there in the midst of us being there as a father, because being a dad is about just being there, man. Being a dad is about turning up and God's always going to be there for us. And sometimes, sometimes we just need somebody to tell us that. Father, my Father, who reigns on high, your sovereign name be glorified. Lead me through life with great words of truth, my passion fire. And that was Oh Perfect Father by Steph McLeod. And thank you so much to Steph for joining us for the Artist Interview podcast by Hope FM. I hope you've really enjoyed everything that he shared. He's got an amazing ministry, an extraordinary testimony, and I hope that it's been a blessing. And if you know other people who will be blessed by that, please do share it with them. You can find it on most pod podcast platforms. So on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc do uh, go online it would help us as well if you liked or subscribed or followed depending upon the options uh, and also shared it with other people uh, we hope that you've been blessed by it and we look forward to sharing other artist stories with you in the episodes to come god bless bye-bye talking to some of the best names in contemporary christian music this is the hope fm artist interview